as uh, you sing of the marvelous grace of Jesus. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5. Can you see him? Can you see him? Those are the words that I heard over my shoulder as I sat in a little wood patch in South Carolina turkey hunting one time. The guide was sitting behind me. And we had walked in early that morning, a place I'd never been in my life, and we had turkeys gobbling everywhere, and this, this turkey, I mean, he was double gobbling and triple gobbling and all this kind of stuff, and boy, I just knew I was going to kill me, this giant South Carolina Tom. I'm sitting there, and we're camouflaged up, and we've got our guns ready. I could hear him getting closer, and he got closer, and he got closer. And he got so close, y'all, that turkey hunt, he, I could hear him drumming. I could literally, when a, when a tom turkey comes in, you see them all blowed up. They'll drop their feathers, and they, they vibrate their diaphragm, and this, they call it drumming, and they'll drop their feathers and vibrate them and drag the dirt. I could literally hear the dirt dragging. And I said, man, he's right there, he's right there, he's right there. He kept saying, do you, do, you, do you see him? Do you see him? I said, I, I don't see him. He's right there. He's right there. I don't see him. And finally, after probably 45 minutes of that, of just sheer excitement, went to sheer nothingness as I heard him just walk off gobbling on his merry way. As the sun rose, we realized he was walking up and down a logging road that was just as clean and grassy and perfect for turkey hunting, but we had sat just inside this little oak hollow. We were not 15 yards from this turkey, but there was a hedgerow of thick old privet and stuff that had grown on the edge of this old logging road, and there was no way for me to see my guide had a, a, a vantage point, a little gap. He could see him, and I never saw him. Matt, the word you gave us this morning reminds me of this, and it, it reminds me when I was a boy, when my mother would say, son, you just don't see what your daddy wants to do for you. If you would see, you would give up those fake pearls for the real thing. Your daddy wants to help you. He won't, but... You've got, you've got to submit. So many times in our lives, we cannot see the big picture. We don't see Jesus for ourselves. We have walked in darkness. We have placed ourselves in a position that is in close proximity, but we do not see. We, we hear about Jesus. We uh, uh, see evidence of Jesus working in other people's lives, but we don't see him. Because we're not where we need to be. And we're not focused on the right thing. This morning in 1 Peter, as we began and I told you our theme for the year. Bigger than me. 
bigger than me. If you've ever been in an emergency room with a very sick child, you'll realize God's bigger than you. If you've ever had that call late at night, you'll realize God's bigger than you. If you've ever had one college final exam where the questions were never covered in class, you'll realize if you pass, God's bigger than you. If you've been married, you'll realize God's bigger than you. And so last week we talked about that. We talked about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac and all the things going on and how he had to come to a point that he realized. And it wasn't just an aha moment where it happened one time and Abraham was fine the rest of his life. He had to continually be reminded God's bigger than him. Boy, I'm telling you, it's a lesson well learned but a lesson too often that has to be relearned. Amen? Today, as we look in 1 Peter, we have looked at how he's bigger than us, bigger than me. But today I want to talk about how he's bigger than the body. The biggest problem with the church today is we become too inwardly focused. All of us at some time has said, I wish the church would do this. I wish it would do that. And it's always with our own preference. We can't help that. You know, Becky and I have a hard time agreeing on a movie. She wants to watch one kind of movie, and I want to watch another kind of movie. That's just, she's not going to sit and watch Jaws with me. And I'm going to watch it every time it comes on. Ethan's with me. We disagree on a lot of things. He's going to watch Jaws with me. We don't always agree on that same stuff, the same perspective. In church, listen, I wish we had a better pastor. I'm not joking. I want to I be all God wants me to be. And I was reminded sitting there today just how inadequate I really am. When I walked in this morning, someone said, how you doing today, preacher? And I just smiled because I didn't want to lie and say just how bad I felt. I've been fighting the same old crud y'all have, the sinuses and bronchitis and all that kind of stuff. And boy, I mean, this morning it just hit me, felt bad. Just, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to sing. I've been so looking forward uh, to that song that we sang this morning. I mean, I, I, I was just ready and... Uh, Thank the Lord for Miss Joellen and her doTERRA cough drops because it saved the day. But I think about not just now, but at 3 o'clock when I'll stand in the sanctuary and say words over a man that was from the greatest generation who served his country and served his God. How do you do that? If y'all want to swap with me, I'll be glad to let you. How do you do that? How do you stand and present the gospel? Because I am so, as Isaiah would say, so unclean and undone. Jesus is bigger than the body. The Bible teaches us that he is the head. And like an old country preacher friend of mine said, anything with two heads is a freak. Have you ever been to the... uh, uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. If you've ever been to one of those Ripley's Believe It or Not, they've always got a calf in there. It's a model of a real calf that was born with two heads. 
It's a freak. It's freaky looking. But it was real. The church can't have two heads. It can't have Jesus and the deacon body. It can't have Jesus and the pastor. It can't have Jesus and the choir director. It can't have Jesus and a Sunday school teacher. It can't have Jesus and the biggest giver of the church. It, it can only have Jesus. And church, if we're going to reach the world, if we're going to be everything God wants for Eastside, then we've got to realize he's bigger than the body. And so Peter explains it in chapter 5. I've got a lot of ground to cover, so you're going to have to scribble fast, but know that it's being filmed and you can re-watch it this week. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, first of all, I want you to see in this message today, bigger than the body, there's two groups mentioned, the elders and the younger. The elders are those who are senior, not Uh, It pertains to the older class, but he's speaking in the church as one who is more mature. One who ought to act their age. There's a lot of senior adults, a lot of elderly in the church that are still drinking of the sincere milk of the word that has never grown in their faith and are eating meat. Church, if you've been saved any length of time, you ought to be reading your Bible. You ought to be praying. You ought to be able to give an answer who Jesus is, who God is, why you believe what you believe. You ought to be able to teach. We ought to not have to beg people. Look, it doesn't mean you have the spiritual gift of teaching to be able to teach people who Jesus is. Elders are those of the Uh, ecclesiastical body overseer is what he's speaking to and he tells them to exhort or he is exhorting them he's inviting or invoking the Greek word literally means to comfort or implore or to call near he is speaking in very intimate direct fashion he said I exhort you I am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. The glory that shall be revealed. He said, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. That whole word, that filthy lucre, in, your, in some of your versions, it may say dishonest gain. Getting our eyes focused on the love of money rather than on loving God. He said, not by constraint, not by filthy lucre, but willingly and of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory That fadeth not away. The Apostle Peter begins by expressing his credentials. He tells us who he is, where he'd come from. Listen, I've got got to know in my heart and you've got to know. 
I mean, everybody's got their ideas about building church. And there's conferences and there's seminars and there's all kinds of preacher meetings and church meetings and special classes that we can go to. And everybody's saying, if we do this, we can grow the church. If we do this, we can grow the church. But what we've got to understand where it starts with in Peter saying, I'm going to exhort you elders because I am an elder and here's my credentials, where I've been, what I've done. We've got to know Jesus before we can point the world to him. They, listen, when people were around Jesus and went somewhere else, the world knew it. They said, you've been with him. You've been with him. When Moses left the Mount Sinai, what did they say? What does the Bible say? It said that he glowed. His countenance literally reflected the glory of God. When we know Jesus, the world will see Jesus in us. You wonder why oftentimes children seem to wander off from God. Is it possibly because they never really saw the trueness, the evidence of Jesus in our lives? If we wonder why our Sunday school classes doesn't grow or why we don't seem to be able to reach a family member or a friend, we've got to ask ourselves, do we have the credentials? Are we able to really show by our example, he said, that we have been with him, we know him? What are those credentials? First of all, He tells us here, he said, feed the flock, tells them why, but he said, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ, verse one, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. First of all, we ought to know who Jesus is. We have witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Now, Peter was literally there, but as a believer, We just came out of Christmas season, didn't we? Remember what sat right there? The manger scene. The cradle. We're a witness of the birth of Jesus Christ in our life. Amen? We believe in Christmas. We believe in Christmas. Come on now, y'all. Christmas is wonderful. And I know we're getting a real, you know, we're so glad after so we want to get a tree down, everything changed, put up. And I get that. But we don't package Jesus up. It's still Christmas every day. We celebrate that God came in the flesh, born of a virgin, and lived among men. Why? To suffer. He didn't, he, he wasn't born to come and hold that scepter in his hand. One day he will. But he didn't come, the Bible say, said, to bring peace at that time. But a sword. He didn't come at that time to reign, but to suffer. And so we are witnesses of the sufferings of Christ, not just the cradle, but the cross. We know there was no swooning at Calvary. We know that the Son of God literally gave his life for all mankind. They pierced his hands, they pierced his feet. And we want to get into trying to dissect things. Some say, oh, well, you know, it really meant that they drove nails through his wrist. And listen, all I know is God's word said it was through his hands and his feet. 
But I'm not going to get in an argument about that. What I do know is they pierced him. Right? What I do know is they nailed him to a cross. And it is not only that they nailed him to a cross, they nailed him to the cross. The cross represents a curse, the Bible says. And the Bible is very clear. He said, and he became cursed for us. For cursed is every man that hangeth upon a tree. We understand the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Peter said, I understand because I saw it for myself, but I now get it because he did it for me. He was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Do you realize Jesus, listen to me now. If you're really going to look somebody in the eye and tell them God loves them, then you've got to understand the depth of his love for you. That is, he gave his life for your sins. man who knew no sin. You ever been accused of something you didn't do? It's very aggravating, isn't it? If you've got a sibling, you have. And my, my daddy... Jay, my daddy wasn't kind of judge, you know. My daddy say, well, one of you did it, so if I whip you all, then I got you. He wasn't worried about innocence. He was worried about guilt. He was going to take care of business. And what my daddy's whole philosophy was, well, if you're innocent, you probably did something else I don't know about, and you deserve it. And so he'd just whip all three of us. And you know what? I hated getting tore up for something I did, but I really was upset when I got tore up for something I didn't do. But the Bible says, as a lamb led to the slaughter, Jesus opened not his mouth. He didn't complain. We're living in this whole age of entitlement, and I have rights, and they're not going to disrespect me. And we're beating our chest, and don't, don't disrespect me, and don't get in my face, and we're not going to put up with anything or anybody. Jesus, listen, Jesus will spit on for you. To me, that's one of the most crude things. I'd just about rather somebody drive a nail through my hand than spit on me. But I'm always reminded Jesus did that. He took that for me. They said, oh, hell, king of the Jews. And they didn't mean it. You ever been mocked? You ever felt bullied? Here is God in the flesh and the world is politically bullying him. The religious crowd is bullying him. His own people have run for fear of what they may do to him. This man writing this had already denied him three times. He said, now witness what Jesus went through for me. But he said, also partaker of the glory to be revealed. For you see, he said, I ran to the tomb. I saw the resurrected Savior. It's not just about the sufferings, but it's about partaking of the glory to be revealed. We've got to show the world. Listen, people want to win. They just do. Amen? Why do we watch ball games? Because we we want to see somebody win. And, And you know what? I watched the national championship game the other day. I really didn't care. I mean, at one point of the game, I mean, I was like Sybil. One part I'm for Alabama, the next part I'm for Clemson, and I can't even believe I'm saying that, uh, but I was. For it. And you know what? At the end of the day, I, closed, I turned the TV off when it was done. 
I didn't watch any of the ser- great game, watched it, went to bed, no big deal. But there's people that want, you know, they're flooding all the social media. Hey, great game, but we'll be back next year. I'm like, dude, man, take a break. Let's talk about golf or something, you know? They play other sports. Not in Alabama, they don't. Listen, we've got to understand the world wants to be a winner. They want to be on the winning side. And the greatest winning side that there will ever be is on Jesus' side. And if we're going to show the world Jesus, then we cannot walk around defeated all the time. We cannot walk around with our face sagging. We cannot walk around like we're miserable and people say, how you doing? Oh, man, you don't even want to know. We can come to Sunday school and talk about the Falcons winning. Amen. Praise the Lord. We can talk about what we did that week, how much money we made. We can talk about all the stuff. But do we ever go back into the world and tell them what a great Sunday we had? Tell man, you ought to have heard the preacher's wife. You ought to have heard Miss Becky and Miss Elena Sunday morning. You ought to have heard the choir. It's phenomenal. I mean, the preacher even, you know, blind hog, find a nut every once in a while. He did all right. Man, I just, it was such a beautiful, what? And I'm going to tell you, I, I fed off of last Sunday all week. I just did. I love choir practice. It was, it was the most worship. I'm honest now. It was the most worshipful choir practice I've ever been a part of last Sunday night. Place was full. People were excited to be there. And you saw evidence of it this morning. People were ready. People had a hunger to worship the Lord. And it began last Sunday night. It began this morning at 1015. We've got to show the world we have something to brag about. Not in arrogance, but that we are partakers of the glory to be revealed. And that's resurrection. Easter's coming, church. And I'm not talking about just Easter 2017. I'm talking about that glorious resurrection day. When Jesus is coming back. So what do we do? Once we've got our credentials in order. And we understand the sufferings of Christ. We're basking in the partaking of glory to be revealed. He said feed the flock. This is pretty neat. When Jesus first called the apostles. What did he call them to do? Following. But in following. What job title did he give them? Fishers of men. They would go out to catch. Now, he has shifted as he was leading, leaving. He said, feed the flock. Now you're shepherds. Not just fishermen or evangelists. Shepherds are pastors. And all of us as believers have both of it. Because that's the great commission. Together. To win people to Christ, to point lost men to Christ, but to disciple and grow believers. That's why uh, Philip and I are already working and planning on the next Truth You sem- uh, semester that we're going to do, working on the classes, getting those ready. I mean, we heard it referred to tonight, uh, this morning. What a blessing they are. He said, feed the flock. Well, how do we do that? We must first model it. Before Peter could tell others, Feed the flock. Jesus told him three times. 
I don't believe that it's just irony that three times he denied. Because I believe that Jesus wants us, he, Jesus understands, but he wants us to understand when he forgives us, he forgives us wholly. And that we are to be wholly committed unto him. And so three times he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter understood the directive. And to do that, we've got to model, if we're going to tell others what they ought to do, then we ought to be able to do it ourselves. Pastors and deacons can't just meet once a month and decide how everything's going to go and us not be faithful as soul winners, us not be faithful in other aspects of our life, us not being faithful in tithing and giving and expect the church to do it. That's mockery and hypocrisy at its greatest level. Sunday school teachers cannot come and teach on Sunday morning the faithfulness that we ought to be in the Lord and never darken the doors of a Sunday night or come to a prayer meeting service. If we're going to lead, then we ought to lead by example. We must model. We can't tell our kids, love Jesus, follow Jesus, read your Bible, and all they ever see us doing is chasing the world, reading Yahoo and Google and all the other stuff. And we tell them, you need to put that down. When we were young, we didn't play. And here we are. We're doing all the same stuff. We're telling them not to do. And I, well, when I was younger, I didn't do all that stuff. Church, we've got a model before them. You want kids to love Jesus? Then show them how to love Jesus. Right? Right? We want our kids to turn their school upside down for Christ. Then we ought to turn their lives upside down with Christ. If we expect them to represent Christ. I'm going to tell you something. I graduated 35 years ago. It's a different world they're living in than it, is, than it was then. I went and gave an inspiration. little Bible talk, if you will, and prayer at the college fair at the high school yesterday. And I just charged them. I talked about how education matters. And I used the examples of Martin Luther, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Booker T. Washington, and others who had set an example, but I finished by the example of the Apostle Paul, who was a, Christ, a Christian killer that God made a Christ follower, who said, seeing that we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, seeing others who have set the example, we need to run the race with patience, setting aside every weight and sin that does so easily drag us down. Run. With patience. Listen, if we're going to follow the Savior, then we follow his example. He said he's the chief shepherd. If we're going to shepherd our little flock, our wife and kids, our husband and kids, if we're going to shepherd our little group of influence, all our buddies, our Sunday school class, then we've got to allow the chief shepherd to lead us. Follow the Savior. Lead the saints. This is with right motives. Do we have the right motives for what we're doing? 
He said, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. How? And he starts with two negative motives and two positive. He said, not by constraint, but willingly. We must do the work of feeding willingly, not what we can get out of it. But doing what God has called us to do. Being grateful. We have breath in our lungs. We have strength in our legs to walk into the house of God. To raise our voices to the one who deserves it all. It's all in perspective. We're going to keep holding on to those $2 string of pearls. Are we going to let God open his drawer and get out the good stuff? Amen. I remember going to my grandparents' house next door. And they had this fancy hutch thing. They didn't have a fancy house. It was basically a one and a half bedroom. Shotgun house with big living room, big dining room, and then the kitchen and these two little bedrooms off to the side. But in this dining area was this server hutch thing. And I can remember pulling the drawer open, and there's this really nice box in there. And I opened it up, and it's silverware. I'm not talking about chrome-plated plastic forks. I'm talking about real, not flat. I'm talking about silver, real, that you had to polish. You know, and they'd get it out, and they'd polish all that stuff. And I, I remember, I said, Mom Brady, why, why don't we use this? Because I don't want it to get dirty. I said, but, but Mama Brady, it's forks and knives and spoons. It's nice. And, yeah, but if I get it out, then I'll have to wash it. If I wash it, then it'll tarnish. Then I'll have to polish it. Well, what good is it? It's like jacking up a four-wheel drive. You're going to spend all that money, jack it up, and put big wheels and shocks and stuff. And say, okay, let's go hit the mud. Uh-uh, I ain't messed up. Well, then buy a Camaro. You know, jack a truck up, it belongs in the mud. Use what God has given us. God is blessing. The blessings are in the box. Open it up and use it for his honor and glory. That's a pretty good example, wasn't it? Willingly. Not what we can get out of it. Listen, if you try to guilt somebody into doing something, I've tried this. I knew somebody who had said they had surrendered to ministry around the time that I did. And they'd gotten real unfaithful. They'd come to church every once in a while. And they were supposedly called to preach. I just couldn't understand that. I I really couldn't wrap my head around it. Because I'm going to tell you something. I couldn't wait to get there. Matter of fact, I'd go to the pastor and try to come up with something for us to go to church for. I mean, we'd have our own youth revival. I said, can we have a youth? Yeah, you can do that. And you, hey, can we do this? Can we do it? And all the time wanting to be with the family of God, wanting to worship, wanting to be there. And I couldn't understand for the life of me why somebody would, that claims the name of Jesus would not want to be around other Jesus followers worshiping the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, Brother so-and-so, I said, why don't we let him come in and we'll, we'll get him to come and preach and do some. And he gave me some very sage advice. 
He said, Brother Matt, I understand. I appreciate your heart. He said, but if he won't do it willingly because the Lord has done so much for him, no matter how many opportunities and things you give him, it's not going to change him. You can give somebody a Sunday school class. You can ordain them as a deacon. You can give them an offering plate and make them an usher. But if they don't want to serve God, they only want to put God in their back pocket and draw him up just when they need him, then no amount of constraint is going to change them. You can't lead people to a place, number one, that you hadn't been, but number two, a place that they're not willing to follow. That's why sometimes it's hard to understand why some parents have done it right. Children have their own free will. If they choose to do what they want to do. Any of you heard of Rick and Bubba? You've heard of Rick and Bubba? I figured they'd made it across the Alabama line. They're two hilarious guys on the radio. Uh, They were on TV for a while on like, Turner Network, something or another. Uh, Anyway, they're very godly guys. And the radio show has gone from just comedy to being more of a Christian, Christ-centered comedy slash Bible lesson. It's phenomenal. When we were pastoring in Alabama in 2009, Rick... Big guy, burly beard. They're always talking sports and all this kind of stuff. He was at a youth conference speaking in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. His two-year-old, while his mother was taking a shower, had worked his way out of the house and fell into the pool and drowned. At his funeral... I want to say between four and 500 people gave their lives to Christ because Rick and his wife stood and testified of the goodness of God and that God's in control. Well, this past week, he spoke of his 27-year-old daughter who came to him the other day and says, Daddy, I don't believe like y'all anymore. I don't believe and a God that judges, and a God, I just believe God in the essence is just love, and that it's a different day. And I believe things have changed. And he talked about how he does not have to accept the word of his daughter to still love her. He spoke of the prodigal's father loving that child, even though, and you know, he, he pointed out something I never really realized. When his son came and wanted his inheritance, you remember that? He said, give me what I am due. We just think about him wanting money. But do you realize what he was saying? He said, I want you dead. That's how you get an inheritance. Daddy dies. He literally looked into the face of his daddy and said, I wish you were dead. Sometimes we look into the face of God and we want to do our own thing, our own way, in our own time. And we're literally saying, God, I want all the blessings, but I just wish you would go away. I just wish you were dead. 
Because I don't want to hear all this conviction. I don't want to listen to what the preacher's got to say. I don't want to hear what my mom and daddy's got to say. I don't want to hear what my coach has to say. I don't want to sit in this Sunday school class anymore. I've got all I want to do the way I want to do it. I'm telling you something, church. It's still wrong to live in sin. It's still wrong to abuse our bodies. It's still wrong to cheat on your spouse. It's still sin that was sin 2,000 years ago. The Bible still stands true. And you can, you can mock it. You can deny it. You can rationalize it and justify it any way you want. But it will never change the truth. Either God is God of all or he's God of nothing at all. Stop with your own perspective. Stop wearing the costume jewelry of this world. Let God put the real jewels around your neck. Prodigal son ate with the pigs. But when he came home, he ate of the fatted calf. Amen? Willingly serve him. Wisely. We ought not be swayed by the world. He tells us. Not for this filthy lucre, this dishonest game, he said, but of a ready mind. We ought to walk wisely toward those who are without, redeeming the time. The Bible says, not swayed by the world. All the world wants to give us. I'm going to tell you, it's easy to look at a target. The world says, look what I've got to offer you. Isn't it amazing the older we get, most of the time we realize... Things are not exactly how they seem. And some things are not just, just not worthwhile. And sometimes we'd rather make less money and have more time. Adrian Rogers said that in our lives too often we spend our health building up wealth early in life. But when we end the last part of our life, we spend all of our wealth trying to regain our health. Becky had a boss one time, and I loved the way he thought. He said, you know, we've got this whole thing backwards. He said, we ought to go to high school, go to college, and then retire. We ought to be retired for 20 years, kind of like that backwards financing. We ought to be able to live 20 years in retirement while we're still young and enjoy it. And then work the rest until the day we die. Problem is, most of us would never make it because we'd live it up until we all died. Church, we've got to walk wisely. Understanding, he said in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. You need to understand something. When we are obedient, we feed the flock, we do it willingly and wisely, it's going to be worthwhile. Hear me, church, it's going to be worthwhile. It's going to be worthwhile. Your crown is coming. You may not see it now, but your crown is coming. My pastor used to always say, give flowers to the living because they can't enjoy it when they're in the casket. Tell them you appreciate them now. I appreciate y'all. For five years, God has blessed me to be the pastor of the greatest church in this area. Now, if you don't believe it, come ask me. I'll tell you why it is. But I'm gonna, here's the reason I'm going to tell you why. 
Because of you. Because of those ladies that was over in that kitchen preparing lunch for a family who's lost a loved one. For deacons who do things that y'all don't even know they do. But that's why they do it. They don't want attention. For those who come over here and practice on Wednesday night so they can get up and lead on Sunday morning. For those who during the week come in and say, Brother Matt, can I talk to you about this? I've got a burden for this. And staff that cares about children, cares about youth, and cares about adults. And there's never been a time, never been a time, five years, never been a time that Michelle's ever said, well, that, I, that's not children. I, I don't want to hear about it. If I had a burden about something or we want to talk about, we'd talk about senior adults. We'd talk about something else. Since Ryan's been here, it doesn't matter. So, Ryan, what do you think about this? Yeah. He tears out. No, no, I didn't say you had to do it. I was just asking your opinion about it. These youth, sometimes I like to just pinch their heads on. I love them. Because even the boys that come up and hug their old preacher, y'all don't know how much that means to me. So I'm going to tell you now. I appreciate it. When you see me at a ball game or something, you're not ashamed. Come up and show me love. These girls that come up and hug my neck, I'm officially that old preacher. I don't feel guilty about that anymore. All the little girls can come hug me because I'm old. I love all of you for your faithfulness, your prayers. It's all worth it. Listen, the crown's coming. It's coming. But then to the younger what do we do? He said in verse 5 and 6, if we're going to realize it's bigger, he's bigger than the body, then we've got to understand it's not about youth. It's not about being 30-something-year-old, have little kids, and y'all want everything to be the way you want it. It's not about you. He said, younger ones, listen, He's not just talking about four-year-olds or 12-year-olds. He said anybody that's younger in the faith, younger in the family, he tells us right here, submit yourselves unto the elders. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. So that means I'm subject to you, you're subject to me. The same thing goes with a marriage. He tells us in Ephesians, all you men, we like that whole, women supposed to submit to their Husbands, Yeah, but read a few verses earlier and it says we're supposed to submit to one another. I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. You'll submit to her cooking, won't you? Some of you will. Submit to authority. Submit to authority. Now, I think the deacons would testify to this. We do not believe in a deacon board. There's a difference. People refer to a deacon board. We don't have a deacon board. We have a deacon body. A body serves together. A board leads from a room. That's not what our deacons do. Our deacons do not believe it's their job to call the pastor in on the carpet. But at the same time, 
I bring them. They say, oh, preacher, you go out. I said, I, I know that. I, if I feel led to do it, I'm going to do it. I said, but I want to hold myself accountable because y'all are the spiritual elders of this church. And sometimes you can give me a perspective I can't see. Because I can only see it with my two eyes and my one heart. But when I've got all the deacons there, I can see it through their perspectives and from their different angles. From their schools of learning coming up. Men, deacons, am I right? I'm thankful for our relationship. I don't dread deacons meetings. I used to. Edward, you ever dreaded a deacons meeting? Don't you lie. You're in God's house. Yeah, we've all had me. There's always been one we knew it wasn't going to be pleasant. I don't dread them. I look for, we had some best prayer meeting, fellowship time. Sometimes we spend about three minutes on stuff because things are taking care of itself because the church is doing what it's supposed to do. The rest of the time we pray and just yuck it up. That's the kind of deacon meeting you want. Submit to authority. Subject to one another. That means you're clothed in humility. I ain't got to take that. What did the preacher mean by that this morning? I believe he was aiming that at me. Can I go on and cut to the chase? I'm aiming it at you every Sunday. If you didn't feel that last week, you just missed the point. Now, I'm not thinking of you specifically, but I believe God gives me messages for us. Ask Ryan what I told him this morning before we ever walked into this place. I said, this message is at me and you today. Specifically. But I think this feed the flock, this pastor, this under shepherd is all of us in our homes, in our circle of influence. Listen to me. My son has a circle of influence that I can't reach. He has friends that will listen to him and his perspective. They won't listen to me. Brent, you, Matt, Blue Tree area class, y'all have circles of influence that... 15 years younger than me, 18 years younger than me, that grew up in a little different era. They'll listen to you when they won't listen to me. You'll be able to reach them where I can't reach them. Those of you who are 70 and above, around that age, you have a circle of influence that only you can reach. And we're going to do a thing. It'll be coming out. You'll be hearing about it starting next week called the Big Invite. And we're building up the, the Georgia Baptist Convention is promoting it and we have partnered with them to invite everyone we can to come for Easter morning. And I've got news for you. Your buddies will come if you invite them. Your friends, your circle of influence. You say, well, I don't know. How are you going to know until you ask them? Ask them. Invite them. Show them that you care. Subject to one another. Surrendered to the Lord. That's what younger should be doing. I told you about I'd go to the pastor all the time and say, hey, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? Finally, my pastor came to me and he said, listen, does it honor Christ? I said, yes, sir. Does it promote the gospel? Yes, sir. Is it worldly? No, sir. He said, does it conflict with anything else? On the calendar or anything in the church? No, sir. He said, then you don't have to run ask me every single thing. If it follows those guidelines, serve God and do it. 
just serve him. But I wanted to be in total submission and surrender not only to my leader but to my pastor and to my God. So how do we, how do we get to this point of being bigger, realizing that it's bigger than the body. The Lord, his kingdom is bigger. And I'm not talking about just the church building. I'm talking about Jesus is bigger than the universal Catholic church. Catholic means universal. The worldwide church. Jesus is bigger. Amen? Jesus died for all mankind. He's bigger. Listen, he is bigger than the Old Testament. He's bigger than the New Testament. He is the originator of it all. He is the creator. He died for those before and those that would come after so how do we do it? Let me offer you some practical steps. I'm going to go through it real fast. Verse 7. If you don't get anything else, I want you to hear this. Practical steps for getting a right perspective of how big God is. He said, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Church, if we will cast away our care knowing he cares for us, then we've got things in the right perspective. It's called laying your burden down. I don't know about you, but I have come to the altar before, and when I got up, I stuck my burden back in my pocket. Didn't mean to, but I did. It was, I held it so close to my heart. That I wouldn't lay it down. There's been some times where God just pried it from my hand. I want to say that it was Corey Tinboom that said, I've learned to hold all things loosely. That way it doesn't hurt as bad when God takes them away. Church, lay it down. Cast your care. You got a job issue? Cast it upon the Lord. You got a relationship problem? Cast it. Upon the Lord. Struggling in school? Cast your cares upon Him. You're burdened about your community? You're scared to death? What's going to happen with a new president? What's going to happen with Iran and Korea? Cast your care upon the Lord. You don't know about somebody's salvation? Cast your care upon the Lord. Now understand, you may be the answer to your own prayer. In other words, God may use you. You say, oh God, I pray you'd save my child. And God says, well, tell them about me. You pray about a job situation. And God uses you to bring about the example. Cast away your care. Not just throw it out the window, but take it to Jesus. Verse 8. Wake up as you walk. Be aware. We're just stumbling around in the dark. We're terrible, I, I admit it. I, I know my brother Art's never going to watch this message, but when we all get together, we, and, and she plays along with it. At Christmas this past year, my, my brother Art's wife is blind, and so uh, we're opening presents, and uh, we're always, something will come up. Lindsay's a nut. And Lindsay come over and she had something. I said, go show your Aunt Kim, see what she thinks of it. Get it? 
And Kim's, I heard that. I, I said, she don't, you don't, you can't whisper around her now. She said, I may not be able to see, but I can hear better than all y'all. And she can. I've watched my brother be a phenomenal husband. I've watched him get up and hold her by the elbow and lead her to the piano. Because she can play like nobody's business. You can take that old red back hymnal and you can just start calling out numbers. Or you can call out names. It don't matter either way. And she'll just start playing it. But when she's done, Art or, her, or Art's son will get up, go help her down from the piano, walk her back down to the seat, directing her. I've got news for you. You can't see through this world nearly as good as you think you can. Can y'all tell me what's going to happen Thursday? I have no idea. What about on February, you know, February 2nd, about 11, 18 a.m.? You have any idea? I don't even know if it'll be here. You know? How do we know? We have no earthly idea. We can prepare all we want, but we need to understand what we've got to do is walk with our eyes wide open following the Lord. Wake up, he said. Be sober, vigilant, because, because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. I can assure you, he's watching you. Wake up. Resist, he said in verse 9. Whom resists steadfast in the faith. The Bible tells us over in James chapter 4. And verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Understand something. No, you're not alone. He said, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You're not the only one going through hardships. You're not the only one facing trials and tribulations. Eastside is not the only church in the world that's facing uh, a plateau or decline. It's not the only place that's facing this, this complacency that is entered into the body of Christ. It's time that we wake up, we walk up, and we resist the things of Satan. You know what happens when we do that? He said, but the grace, the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you have suffered a while will make you perfect or mature, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We just need to dwell in grace. You know what one of my favorite times of the day is? About 9.30. About 9.30, between 9.30 and 10, I'm going to get up and go make me a cup of coffee. And I'm going to sit down, and I really don't care what's on TV, as long as it's not Lifetime or Hallmark or any of those kind of things. Anyway, I'm going to watch them build something, tear something up, shoot something, drive fast. That's pretty much it. But I'm going to sit there, quiet of the night, as everything's settled down. And usually I may have a little snack, and that big, long-eared, big-eyed hound dog 
is going to burn a hole through my body, looking to the very inner sanctum of my soul, waiting for me to feed or something. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to drink my coffee and enjoy the night. Well, you know what? Wherever that is for you, you know that little break you have in the middle of the school day when you can escape middle schoolers and you can go and just breathe for just a minute? You know, maybe it's the ride home from work. Maybe it's the ride to work. That morning that you just, you're away with the Lord. Maybe it's in the morning you're retired and it's you get up and you make your coffee in the morning or hot tea or Diet Coke or whatever it is. And you sit on your patio and you read the paper or whatever you do. That little time, well, I want to tell you, take that times a gazillion. You have not touched the fulfillment of dwelling in his grace. Just dwell. You ain't got to do anything. You don't have to, you know, it's like going home. When you walk in and it's home, you don't have to worry about any kind of airs. You don't have to worry about how you look or anything. You kick your shoes off. Take it. If you can nap in somebody's house, then you're home. Amen. Dwell in grace because we dwell in the presence of God. And then I want you to understand when it's all together, we understand he's bigger than the body. He said to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Church, you're either an elder or you're a younger. You're either serving or you're not. You're either submitted or you're withholding. You're either walking or you're sitting. You're either focused or you're blind. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either trusting Christ as your Savior or rejecting Him. You're either serving Him as a, as a saint, being faithful witness, or you're a bad witness rejecting the authority of the Holy Spirit dwelling and leading in your life. And so as they come to the instruments, I want to ask you, do you need to ask God for a different pair of glasses? So that your perspective is changed. Do you need to just cast your costume jewelry on the altar of God? Matt, that was good. I mean, it ties perfect. We just need to give God the little trinkets of our life and let him bestow upon us the crown jewels of the family of God. He's bigger than us. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than east side. And if we want to see God do great things, we need to come and tell him. And give him all authority. Just turn the reins over. And say, here I am, God. Here's my family. Here's my children. Here's my parents. Here's my community. Here's my world. God, use me to bring honor and glory to your name. Cast, his, cast your cares on him today. Cast your cares upon Jesus. Stand and come.